And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch. From growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. So you ever go to the store and you try to buy something and you get offered yet another rewards thing? Fill out this form, do this card, put this little key fob on your keychain. Next thing you know, you look like the janitor at your elementary school, except for you're loaded up with reward cards. There's a way to fix that. We're going to get into that today during today's episode of Startup Hustle, which is brought to you and powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io to learn more. With me today, I've got Toby Rush and Toby is the CEO and co-founder of Redeem. You can learn more about Redeem. You can just scroll down to that link in the show notes and click it, which I recommend so you can learn more about what Toby and his business does while we're talking, or you can just type in redeem.xyz. Toby has been on the show with us before, and I'm proud to announce that Redeem is on Startup Hustle's 2023 list of top Kansas City startups. That's my hometown, that's Toby's hometown, and that will make me just want to say, Toby, welcome back. Matt, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Excited, Excited to hang out today. It's been a little bit, you know, and uh, I think you know this because I think I told you at one point, but we recorded an episode about startup success or mm-hmm. it was a long time ago, but that was the most popular episode on Startup Hustle for like a year and a half <laughs> or something. Uh, that, that, that was a lot yeah. of fun. I, yeah. I, I, I enjoy just uh, sitting back and yeah, letting letting the words fly. It's that, that was a virtual recording during the pandemic. That was, short, right. that was shortly after we had to figure out how to do it on the on the Internet. Right. How many have you done now, by the way? Uh, we had our thousandth episode on December 7th. Ooh. Wow. Awesome. Right? Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was not planned. We had our fifth birthday, our four millionth download, and our thousandth episode all occurred in the same week. Nice. I don't, I, you could probably try to plan that. And I don't think we could have, but it's just the way it happened. So, and thanks for being a part of that. That was, uh, it's always fun to chat and talk with you. Um, You've got a new thing. Got a new thing. I'm a yeah. glutton for punishment. Yeah. I'm at it again. But, but with that, Let's take just a, a minute and talk mm-hmm. about some of the other things because you have an interesting backstory and I'd like to learn. I think mm-hmm. everyone would like to learn more about it. I'm already familiar with it. Sure. No, you know, my background, I'd say I just love building stuff. I love building products. I love building teams. Um, I love building companies in my 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 uh, spare time, which isn't a whole lot of spare time these days. I love building uh, woodworking and wood projects and epoxy, and um, I just love the kind of the creation of the artistic side of what's possible, but then the engineering side of how do you fit it all together, right? So early days, grew up as a farm kid in Northeast Kansas, um, really didn't know what the word entrepreneurship was, um, but always had my own little side hustle. I was always finding a way to make money. Allowance wasn't a word that my family really understood. So if you're going to have any money, you better go figure out how to make it yourself. Um, you know, always, uh, you know, captain of the football or basketball team, you know, math and science was always uh, easy for me. So getting to K-State, um, you know, I'd come from a very, very small school, um, but coming to K-State, my eyes would just open to like so many people and so many ideas and things that you could do um, that really just was flourished and had a blast at K-State. Um, ended up, uh, still didn't think entrepreneurship was a thing at the time. Um, so went to Accenture, um, started working there, um, enjoyed that, went to a smaller consulting company. Um, wanted to see what a pure software company would look like. So the idea of putting you kind of your blood, sweat, and tears into something and then being able to reap the rewards of that, right? And consulting you, even if you do a great job, we well, move on to the next project, right? So if, if you do a phenomenal job, you're not getting the benefit of all of that hard work. And so say, like, hey, I want to be able to, you know, experience what it's like to put in really good work and then be able to beneficiary of that. And so joined a startup, took kind of a product management role. About nine months after I got there, they fired the VP of engineering um, and said, Toby, will you run product and engineering um, and QA until we find a new engineering. And I'm like, sure, why not? 
and uh, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, jumped in, kind of fly by the seat of your pants, and they never found anyone else, right? So when the problem goes away, you're like, oh, well, that guy's solving it now. So at a ripe age of 26 or 27 years old, I was managing <laughs> 25, 30 people. I um, just loved it. That's really what got bit by the startup bug and this entrepreneurship thing. Came back to Kansas City, um, really to be close to some friends and family and in a long term where my wife and I wanted to be. Uh, first company is called Rush Tracking Systems. We put technology on forklifts. Kind of the aha there was humans are great at driving. They're terrible about data collection. So think forklifts and forklift drivers in warehouses. And have to pick up a pallet, scan the pallet, scan the bay, scan the pallet, scan the door. Technology is really good at data collection. It's really hard to automate dynamic, unconstrained environments like driving. So we put a camera on top of a forklift and 2D barcodes in the ceiling. It's like our own indoor GPS system. We put a camera and an RFID reader on the front of the truck, and we're able to do all of the pickup and put downs of all the inventory. So we let drivers drive, which they're really good at, and we let technology data collection, which it's really good at, and it just worked. Um, sold that to a private equity. We raised a little bit of money, um, some angels and some strategics. This is way back, man, that was 03 to 09. Um, so early, early days in the, in the Kansas City ecosystem. Uh, with the private equity, they wanted to just do a roll-up. So we bought a couple of other companies kind of in that space. We got some great M&A experience um, kind of working with the private equity. Rolled off of that. Um, love computer vision. I'm still fascinated by computer vision. Like everybody right now is super into chat GPT and all the cool things. And that's all cool. Um, I think computer vision, we're still scratching the surface. Like when compute when because we have so many cameras when computers can understand the world um, and interpret it from videos and pictures like we're going to see a massive step change and we're getting there but um, oftentimes in machine learning and AI it it feels like an exponential curve so you look backwards and it's a flat line you look forwards and it's a straight wall right I think that's the curve that we're on when it comes to computer vision as well well we should stop for just a second to explain that computer vision is an open source platform that does literally give computers a neural network of vision yeah because what Toby's talking about is that two-dimensional view of things is really how computers see things. So in order to have depth, shading, all of that, and it's remarkably complex, it's been around for a long time and it is still kind of scratching the surface. We were talking mm -hmm. about our, uh, a Tesla driving you around. There are elements of computer vision and yeah, that tons and a of lot it. of other things. So, sorry, I don't like too many things to go undefined. So sure. please proceed. No, that's great. Well, even to, 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 to double click into computer vision a little bit, like one of the things for me is really fascinating the human brain, you think about how much our eyes see, like we see everything. Our brain lets very little actually through to our brain because the rest of it just feels like noise. It is noise, right? But if it's a computer, the computer can see everything, record everything in perfect fidelity, but it can't understand it. As computers can begin to understand the things that our camera sees, like we're in for a, a world of uh, um, innovation and, and really, really some cool things. But anyway, um, so love computer vision, fascinated by both technologies and what it can unlock. Came across a professor at UMKC here in town looking and uh, he was using computer vision to look at the blood vessels and the whites of your eyes and use that as a biometric. I'm like, that's kind of creepy, kind of cool. Um, and said, hey, that's interesting. And they, they thought, the, the university thought immigration airports and uh, the military is where we should go use the technology. I'm like, um, why don't we go do passwords on smartphones? Like, that seems like a bigger use case, a bigger unlock. But this was 2011. There were no biometrics on smartphones, um, not a single one. Like the biggest pushback I got is like, why would anyone do biometrics on smartphones? And if it's such a good idea, why isn't Apple and Google doing it? I don't know, but it just feels so obvious. We, it has to be where things go. So we're fortunate we launched iVerify in 2012, kind of Q1 of 2012. Apple came out with Touch ID in 2013, came out with Apple Pay in 2014. Um, and just kind of the doors flew open. So we had Wells Fargo and Citigroup and RSA uh, computing as, as a customers. We had 60 banks up and running in production, no small feat. Um, we ended up, uh, Samsung was an investor. We were working with LG and um, a whole bunch of other kind of a Chinese manufacturing firms. And we started calling on Alipay over in China. They loved it. Eventually, Alibaba and Ant Group ended up acquiring us. Um, which was an awesome, fascinating, fun ride. Um, so I had engineering teams in Beijing, Singapore, San Francisco, Kansas City, um, by far the hardest leadership job I've ever had, managing that many people, that many cultures, that many time zones, um, but ran biometrics and identity for a couple of years for them. So I had you know, a major biometrics platform in um, China, in India, Indonesia, uh, Philippines, um, Singapore, Thailand, um, lived on a plane for a while. Uh, they asked me to join their... Um, investments team 
right? So I could do corporate venture capital work. And it's funny, Jack Ma's calling card can open any door you can possibly imagine. I would imagine, yeah. Uh, so it was fun. So I'd, and it was blockchain. So kind of my 90% of my focus is go understand kind of core kind of fundamental use cases of blockchain and how it could impact the larger Alibaba ecosystem. We spent some good time in uh, San Francisco and Israel kind of looking at that. Um, left Alibaba kind of towards the end of 2019. Um, did a couple of projects with some private equities about a year ago, came back and looked again at blockchain web three. And I'm like, Whoa, there's a lot more here than there used to be. There's a lot more people building a lot of nonsense. Um, but that's kind of really where, uh, we, we tripped over the idea of redeem. So a couple things to unpack there. I like to compare years to the iPhone model that we were at because right. it gives you some perspective. So we, in 2011, that was an iPhone 4. Yes. It wasn't until 2013 that the iPhone 5 came out because mm -hmm. then it would take a couple of years sometimes. But you, know, you look back at, at some of that and I'll even compare our developers at full scale. I'm like, this guy's got 10 years of experience to give you a little bit of perspective. He was building iOS apps when it was iPhone 5. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wow. You know, but but what the the only security metric on any phone was then was this little four digit passkey, right? Yep, four digit pass and your pass. Yeah, on to get into the phone if you used it at all. Right. So, but then uh, then when you got in, there was no way to log into any of the apps other than passwords. Yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. typing in every single time because nobody trusted the mobile device. Right. It's a terrible user experience. If you think about it now, I would be. Well, I said before we hit record how lost I I was when I switched from one <laughs> yeah. phone to the next. I was like, I realized how bad my password management was and had to like take like half a day pretty much to fix it. Cause I knew, you know, I, you know how it goes, you know, you're like, ah, oh, I could just type it in or I could actually fix the problem. I mean, cause I mean, when you have, when you get, have a gunshot wound, you should just wrap it with gauze, right? Of course. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. That's maybe startup founder mentality. Okay. So that's a, an amazing story. I remember when, so I verify that was, you know, it was a big acquisition. That was big news. Uh, that was a while ago, huh? It was, a, it was amazing how long, 2016. Yeah. Right. So yeah, staggering. Time flies. How, time, how time, fast flies, time flies. Time flies. Uh, you talk about the amount of innovation and, and, you know, for those of you listening, you know, part, I really encourage Toby to dive into the backstory because think about the things that you just heard there. You have 2011, how come Google and Apple aren't doing it? I don't know. Seems like a good idea, though. But that's that's what good innovators, inventors, and startup founders do. Is you see something, and you realize, man, this this is going to be a solution someone needs later. But these solutions don't happen overnight. You know, right. Warren Buffett's pretty well known for saying nine women don't make a baby in a month. And yep. and in that case, and I, I want to add on to one thing you had talked before about that acquisition. At at some point, you realized that what iVerify did wasn't necessarily a platform, but maybe more of a complementary feature that would make sense. So can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. I do want to get into Redeem, but I think that you have so many valuable lessons about sure. that because when you've told me that in the past, it's, it was, I mean, that was very insightful to understand where your business was at and maybe like there's limitations here, but mm -hmm. it's still kind of unlimited. No, it was. I mean, so early on, like even whether I was talking to customers or fundraising, um, I'd always kind of get this pushback. We're like, where, where is the end game? Like, where, where does this thing end up going? And if I were really honest with myself, I think it's, it's uh, basically eyes and fingers. Like, what are the two things you do with your phone all day long? You touch and look at your phone. And I still believe eventually we will have both fingerprinting um, under glass and kind of eye and face-based biometrics on phone. We only did the eye. Right. We didn't do finger. And so kind of this idea of really it's about identity. It's not about this feature, this specific thing. Um, and so as I really challenged myself realizing, man, I actually have a piece of the platform. I don't have a platform and platforms are very valuable. Like platforms solve problems in a little bit more holistic way. And so when the Alibaba opportunity came up, um, actually what I pitched them was, hey, you have an amazing opportunity to create an identity platform. Um, and use the onboarding experience for your wallet. So remember at the time, Ant Group, which is part of Alibaba, um, were focusing on the unbanked and underbanked in China, India, Indonesia, which by the way, those three countries are half the world's population. Um, and they're just coming into this digital world. And as a wallet was one of the first kind of secure applications they would need to get, you had to do a lot of what's called KYC and a lot of kind of validation of that user, including biometrics. I'm like, use that onboarding experience create an identity platform that would solve their all of their password and identity needs the rest of their lives, whether it was eye or face or voice or behavior, all these different things, didn't matter. And it's one of the few things you can say everyone in the world will eventually need a digital identity. 
And once you need a digital identity, a username and password, you'll need it the rest of your life. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Very few things you could say that about. And I remember the, uh, the CEO of Ant, um, we were having this conversation. He's like, I like it, but you have to go run it. Great. I love it. What's my goal? Two billion users. <laughs> two, two billion. Let's start with a modest number I'm like, here. Sure, let's give it a shot. What was cool about Alibaba, like there were almost no constraints. Like yeah. they had plenty of people, plenty of money, but they also had a ton of ideas. Like one of the things actually, one of the interesting ahas I had when I was working there, again, talking with some of the executives, like senior, senior executives, Alibaba and Ant, was like, we have no constraints on money or people. We have constraints on people we can trust to use money and people wisely. That's a pretty wise outlook. Now now with that, everything you just described uh, has DNA and what you're building at Redeem. It does. So I'd say a lot of the pieces as I think about, um, let me describe a little bit of- Well, uh, yeah, let's talk about the problem at first because at the beginning I mentioned like, hey, I go to buy something, it's another rewards program. And let's be honest, that's annoying. True. Yeah, because I, I mean, my wife for years had like literally had like a key fob, just, <laughs> all had, stuff, just had all the, the little, little things on it, and 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 I did actually ask her after we talked several months ago mm-hmm. when you were still in stealth mode. I was like, "What did you ever do with any of those? Did you ever cash any of those in or do anything?" She's like, "No, I just threw the whole key ring out." Yeah, and really, you almost have to give text take a step further back because really the rewards are just kind of an example of the pain point that we have here of the a new world that we are entering, um, and one that's purely digital. Right. And so when we started I mean, 15, 20 years ago um, about how do we engage, live, work in kind of this digital world, um, it was a wild, wild west. You didn't know who to trust, how to trust it. So what we ended up doing is like we went to these really big tech companies, really these tech companies emerged to solve the problem of you know, Apple and Facebook and Google in particular. Um, say, hey, we're going to have a walled garden and inside our walled garden, you're going to be able to trust anything that we say. So, for example, if I said, Matt, you own ABC one, two, three, the number. And because you own ABC123, here are all these other benefits that you've got. It'll unlock levels. You might get access to different areas of the platform. Um, you might have certain, you know, all sorts of other benefits because you own ABC123. Well, if you go out in the open, you go outside of Apple's wall, how do you know who owns ABC123? It's infinitely copyable. Anybody can copy and paste ABC123 as many times as you want. And so the only way that we could really trust and operate and, uh, and, and really live is inside, for the most part, other people's walled gardens. Well, now we have this new technology. It's called blockchain, Web3. Um, and this idea of I can own purely digital things. I can use purely digital things in a way that continues to have that level of trust, but I no longer have the limitations of the walled garden. So how do I live and operate in what we call open ecosystems? Um, that aren't dictated by big tech or big government, right? So I'm fascinated by bottoms up solutions, ideas, operating, um, and and really blockchain and Web3. I think fundamentally, that's what I get excited about, of this ability to say, how do we own something purely digital, use it in a purely digital world, but in a way that I get to own my own things and I'm not dictated by Apple and Google and Facebook and other big tech companies' rules because I don't have to live inside their four walls. And that, well, the... The buzzword with Web3, and we were talking about this before the show, because sometimes that gets intermingled with crypto. They're very different, but use the same underlying technology. Right. But a lot of people are completely fascinated with the decentralized nature of that, mm-hmm. which is essentially what you're discussing. We didn't mention government, or maybe you did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The government's yeah, yeah. the big one. And then, you know, for a lot of people, the way that their perception is some of these other companies, well, Apple is bigger than governments. <laughs> like are. they have a higher right. GDP of some sorts mm-hmm. than a lot of countries mm-hmm. and have a lot of sway, a lot of pull. And then obviously, so you look at, well, you look at marketplaces and, you know, well, the term ogalopoly is when mm-hmm. two companies own 97% or more. The The easiest example for most people to wrap their arms around is razor blades. Yeah. Gillette and Schick, you get past that and there's like basically nothing. And what about Dollar Shave Club? They got bought by one of those two. Right. And, but, it, but it has a big influence on a lot of our things. So you talk about phone devices, computers. We're both sitting here looking at our Apple laptops yeah. and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it's great products and it's great things. But at the same time, there's, there's a, there, we're stuck in there. Well, Apple's in a lot of trouble right now. Well, maybe hot water about their app store practices mm-hmm. and some of that. Right. And it's, it's just their like, walled garden. 
Well, right? so what how, are you going to do? Right. So, well, I think that's where. You're like, what are you going to do? Not put your app in the Apple App Store because that's half of, that's more than half of American phones. Yep. It would have a lesser impact. Like in the Philippines where I travel a lot, Apple's not as common. It's mm-hmm. not just a lot more expensive, but there's a lot of stuff in there. Now with the solution that Redeem gives, you talked about the things that never change. Obviously our fingerprint or maybe our, our right. eyes, mm-hmm. but our phone number. It is. So one of the ahas that we had early on as I was thinking about Redeem, um, it was like, how do you make this easier? Like it is wicked complicated for anybody who's played in the, the web three space. You have these really long hexadecimal numbers that are called wallet addresses. And, um, you know, people are trying to come up with a whole brand new naming systems, you know, your, your ENS or, you know, handshake or unstoppable domains, or all these, you know, trying to re- literally recreate this entire directory system. Like, wait a second. There's no we, human that can remember their no. actual d- wallet ID. Crypt- well, there, no well, there's, well, there's probably like twelve. Those are the, <laughs> those are the same people that yeah. can like do pie out right. to like the hundredth place. Tough to build a business on those twelve people. Yes, right. And so this idea, we actually already have this global numbering system that we've all opted into. Right, we have our phone numbers. We remember our phone number off the top of our head. Zero effort. No matter how late or how early in the day, I can recite my phone number with zero effort. Every one of my friends has my phone number, and I have theirs. It's in my phone. We already have an app local that we use to communicate. We text back and forth, right? That is the primary, or WhatsApp or text, or kind of whatever the messaging app is. Carriers have spent billions of dollars securing the network yeah. that these global identifiers run on. And this global identifier isn't just a number. It's a communication path. Well, it's in your pocket all the time, right? too. My yeah. laptop is in right? my pocket all the time. So really cool things like you, you pull your device out right now. There is one device in the entire world that can make a mobile data connection with that phone. And carriers pretty much guarantee that, right? So like, wait, we've got this really incredible numbering system that we can use in person. I can give someone my number. Um, I can connect digitally if I have my phone. I'm literally kind of one of the things we say in the, the uh, it's terrible. It's kind of the crypto bros, you know, if you have your wallet, your keys. So you don't own your wallet unless you have your keys. And we're kind of flipping that a little bit. It's like, hey, if you have your phone, you have your keys and your wallet because there's no other phone in the world that can have your number active on it right now. And so how do we simplify and really kind of unlock the Web3 world um, simply using your phone number? That was kind of one of the ahas, right? And so then kind of building well, off that's that. That's necessary though, because the um, when we first talked about this, I think it was not too, well, it was a few months after the Super Bowl and Coinbase mm-hmm. had the the really famous QR code <laughs> bouncing out, right? yep. which I thought was brilliant marketing because in some ways they stuck their middle finger up because they're mm-hmm. like, if you don't even know what this is, you're not going to be our client. You're not going to buy right. crypto. But I think the things that need to occur that, to bring Web3 and, and blockchain in general to the masses are a level of simplicity. It isn't a wallet ID with 19 keyword phrases. The fox (laughs) ran over the blue moon and ran back around the forest again. And, you know, it's like, it's just confusing. It wasn't do that. I actually wish crypto didn't have, didn't have the word currency attached to it. Right. Because it's very confusing because it's not most, I mean, almost all of it is not intended to be actual currency. It is. Let's, Let's jump into some of those use cases. I think people get really kind of uh, sidelined and sidetracked with cryptocurrency and think about what well, is it Bitcoin or is it ETH or is it all these different currencies and is that a scam? And and by the way, yes, a lot of them are scams. It and, is. and that's um, really coming out content. now. It's really, oh my really gosh. coming. To, yeah. And so when we started redeeming, like we don't have a token, we don't have our own cryptocurrency. We're just using the core technology to yeah. unlock some new use cases. So let's go to one that people can really grasp onto. And it's actually ticketing. All right. So if I want to go to uh, a Chiefs game, um, and I say, let's use a, a music concert. It's even better. So I'm gonna go to Taylor Swift concert. Taylor Swift's coming to town. I want to go to her concert. Um, and I bought a ticket, right? That ticket can be issued as an NFT, right? So it's just a number, right? It doesn't really matter. Everybody, everyone, everyone can know what the number is. Um, say I bought it, but you know what? Matt's a great friend. I'm actually going to send it to Matt and I can literally text Matt kind of out of my wallet and send it to Matt. And now when he clicks on that link, he's on his phone. I can transfer that ticket. So now Matt has this ticket that is owned by him. Um, so now it's a two or three days before the event. Um, other brands want to say, hey, we want to actually give Matt some, hey, we see you going to the Taylor Swift concert. You must like, here's um, $20 off my website or here's $15 to come here. Um, by the way, in or your- Or her latest song. Or her latest, or yeah, or the, yeah. the early release. So you can only yeah. listen to her latest release. Um, it's not on radio yet. It's not on Spotify. But if you have this NFT, you can unlock the song, right? They even give you a parking pass. So now you have a parking pass in your wallet. And as you're driving up to the gate, you will scan the QR code. When you scan that QR code at the gate, it's going to launch the browser on your phone, which knows the number, which has the wallet, which has the NFT ticket. 
So literally you scan the QR code and you've got this super crazy, it's called token gated access control. Because I have a token, I can access control. But now I go into the stadium, same thing, I get into the stadium. Um, but now I want to be able to get into a certain VIP room. And I can have my ticket, but I can have two plus ones. Well, I can, I can text you this token that can give you access to the, this area within the inside the venue, right? which is awesome. But now I leave the venue and say um, a bar is kind of partnered and sponsored the, uh, the event um, and say, hey, if you come to our bar and bring at least three people, we'll give you, uh, everybody gets a free beer. Right. And so you can do this, all this post event engagement where people can say, hey, thanks for coming. Um, you know, Taylor Swift now has a way to engage with you that isn't just through Ticketmaster. Right. So this is really amazing. Again, again, Ticketmaster is another four wall. Right. if you want to do tickets in this country, you get Ticketmaster. You can see, Literally you can see one of the most ticket. hated brands on the planet, by the way. Right. I was a ticket broker right. for a while. So, yeah, it I'm is, familiar but, with it. But they've which, got a four wall. Which, by the way, I went through the trend when I was a ticket broker. I went through the transition from hard tickets, as yep. we would call them, which is actual ticket stuff, to just PDFs. Yep. And, man, you want to talk about pulling teeth. Like, people would call us just so pissed off. <laughs> that we had trans like emailed them, like basically transfer right. them digitally a ticket. They're like, I want the ticket stub. Right. And that's a weird thing that, that uh, the music industry had to basically put their foot down and they're like, Hey, this isn't the right way to do it. Like mm -hmm. this isn't how we're going to do it. And the problem is, is so you, what you're talking about and, and that might sound like a lot to someone listening, but you know, when, you know, full scale had, had tickets at the local, arena and mm -hmm. we would do stuff. And if I wanted to, so we had a suite there. And if we wanted to let, like, if I wanted to let my wife be able to go down to the main concourse mm -hmm. and then just even come back up, cause you had to have a barcode to get in. I would I literally have to go through an arduous transfer process. Right. And then also do not try to engage in that while the venues fall. Cause the entire cell network is jammed up. Right. Yep. So I'm sitting there like, like, okay, I'm just, just, you know, if we forgot to do that ahead of time, I'm like, take a, take a, a picture, screenshot. take a picture of the ticket right. on your phone. And let's hope that the barcode works when you do that. Right. And then Ticketmaster now has a thing where like every 60 seconds, that barcode's changing. It's a security method. So you're not going to do right. that because they're actually trying to prevent what we were doing. And it's just like, next thing you know, I'm spending noticeable time rather than attending the event right. that just I managing. came to watch. Yeah. Cause I'm also had 12 guests there that are knocking on the door or texting me. They're going, I'm in the, I'm in the stairwell. Yeah. Help me um, out. How do I get in? Ah, yeah. So yeah. So again, when, when you have to live inside Ticketmaster's four walls, is their walled garden? Their or anybody's four walls. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's Apple or Ticketmaster. And so the ability to get outside these four walls, but yet still have security that you can trust. You've got phone, you got access. Right. So we love that. So now you can also extend that to rewards and loyalty. So if a brand is wanting to engage with you today, Apple, Google, Facebook in particular are making it harder and harder to advertise or to connect with uh, consumers. The cookies are all changing, which are great in many, many ways, but it's making it very, very difficult for these brands to not connect with their users. And so they're seeing kind of Web3 as a way to have a direct one to one connection. Right, so if I can give you a, an, an NFT that's a badge, it's a membership, um, we call the rewards and loyalty piece specifically dots. Like we're, we're specifically not calling them NFTs because people get, wait, is that like a picture of a bored ape? Is that a bored monkey? Is that, or is that, a, is that one of those Bitcoin things? Like, can I buy that? Like, no, no like these are next generation coupons and promo codes. We just call them dots. You grab a dot, you pick up a dot. When brands want to engage with you, it's, um, you can scan a QR code and you can, you can grab the dots. So if I'm at, I'm at an event, I'm at a stadium, I'm at a pop-up, um, I can scan that QR code, immediately goes in my wallet. I can now use my phone number instead of the promo code on the e-commerce website. Or I can give my phone number to the clerk at the point of sale, and it can pull all those through. This phone number is just amazing link, and we've already got it. We already know yeah. it. So we're just like, okay, how do we kind of use kind of the phone number to unlock the power of Web3 for the masses? That's what I'm really excited about for reading. So it's a daunting task though, because you're talking about a roll like a rollout that's gotta it's global go a lot of places. And then, you know, there's much like there's always the resistance to change. Mm -hmm. Change isn't easy for people. True. And you you gotta overcome okay, so you gotta overcome, you gotta build trust factors. Mm -hmm. And people didn't trust the fingerprint ID, they didn't trust the face ID. Yep. Are you in a global database of facial recognition because of that? Maybe, but you were probably in it anyway. Did you go get a driver's <laughs> license photo? Right. Because yep. they have your face. It's not like it's not like it's not on record. Like sure. in second grade, you did a fingerprint 
to help you if you were an abducted Daddy. child. They got that. It's out there, man. Like quit fighting it, people. Well, and like, it's, and it's, it's really not there. It's, there's nothing invasive that isn't already out there. Well, the thing I like about the approach we're taking with Redeem is you already have your phone number. We're not asking you to get a new identifier. You already text message all the time. We're not asking you for new behaviors. You know what, you know what a QR code is? Like when you see like, it's really funny. I, um, I, I pressure touch this to my mom. Like they're always like, hey, can, can a grandma use it? And so well, this is you know early days. Like, hey, mom, um, she's 75. Um, use as an iPhone, uses it, but that's about it. I was like, mom, do you know any 10 digit numbers? And she's like, no. Like, why would I know any 10 digit numbers? Like, what well, do you know your phone number? She's like, of course I know my phone number, Toby. Like, do you know any others? She's like, well, no, but my phone number, my phone has them all. I don't need to memorize everyone else's phone numbers. And then I pulled up a QR code. It's like, hey, mom, when you see this, what do you do? Like, well, I take my camera out and I point it at it and something pops up and I click on it. Like, so with zero instruction, I didn't have to teach my mom anything. She knew what to do. So leverage those existing behaviors, but now make the link into Web3, which again is this cool unlock of what happens when you can experiment and be creative and have this amazing kind of creative potential outside the walled gardens of big tech. Um, I'm just, in the next 10 years, I think we're going to see an explosion of innovation when we're not hemmed in by what the big tech and big government says we can or can't do. Um, we can have a thousand ideas and a thousand projects. Um, but for me, it's just my phone number. All I have to do is understand my phone number and text messaging and I'm good to go. Yeah. The awareness thing is, is real though. And you mentioned, so first off in 2022, the QR code might've been one of the comeback players of the year. Oh, for sure. So with that, yep. it was five years ago. We have a client that has a large sneaker resale operation in Vegas. Mm -hmm worked with them for years, long before we even had full scale. They were client zero at full scale because <laughs> they kind of came with me with that. But, you know, a problem they had was in a, in a place that's ultimately like sneaker resale. These are still brand new shoes. It's not like you use shoes. You like people wait in line for Jordans right. and stuff like that. And so you have all these shoes at the store. And, and the problem was, is you might end up with Air Jordan, whatever, size nine, and there's six different pairs of those in the size nine represented by six different sellers that all want a different price for them. Mm -hmm. And we're like, how do we build a dynamic marketplace? Cause this huge store, which is growing inventory and you couldn't, you couldn't put a static price tag on those things because mm. you'd have to change it. And you also don't want a bad consumer experience. So they have to go like, did they get the one that's a hundred dollars more or the wrong one? You know? So, sure. so we had, we were like, this is when QR codes were first recognized by a phone's camera. But no one seemed to know that. So we rolled out, we helped them roll out this QR code price system that would just open their app, essentially show you what sizes were available, what the lowest price was. It was a good thing. But we, so we rolled this out and oh my God. And then the next problem was that everybody at the store spent significant time trying to help everybody. <laughs> Teach them how to figure came, out. Yeah. So we had to put signs up everywhere that like right. all over there were like, did you, your phone, point your phone's camera at yep. this. And it was, it was, there was a definitely, and that's what I'm saying is that anytime mm -hmm. something new or innovative comes out, there's oftentimes this adjustment period mm -hmm. that goes through it. I think the phone number thing's really palatable. Yeah. Well, again, it's so already so familiar and so comfortable, like even our onboarding experience, right? So the very first time we want to onboard you, you can either kind of scan a QR code or click on the link. So say I want to um, pick up this $20 off or say I'm at a, I'm at a, a Casey current game, kind of our women's soccer team. Um, so they have a, you know, a coffee brand sponsors them and Hey, get a free cup of coffee. Um, if you scan this QR code at the event, right? So you scan this QR code and what our system does is it pops up a text message on your phone pre-filled. So it's basically the two is filled out and then the, the message on the bottom is filled out saying, I want to claim, you know, this unique code. They hit send. That's all they do. That is the entire onboarding process. There's no app to download. There's no form to fill out. If you can scan a QR code and hit send, you've onboarded. And now you got a free cup of coffee. Now you go to the coffee cafe and say, here's my phone number, which you typically do anyways, as you're checking out. It's like, oh, you have a free cup of coffee. Congratulations. Thanks for attending the KC Current game. Right? The simplicity of two click onboarding into web three. And if we, all those who've been in the web three world, the idea of onboarding into, you know, full blown web three with two clicks. And then your phone number is this beautiful link that can go in real life. It can go um, e-commerce Shopify sites. It can go to de you know, decentralized, uh, you know, traditional web three world, even the metaverse. So now say, again, I went to a Casey current game. And so I have this ticket and it's in my, my phone based wallet. 
Now I want to go to kind of a metaverse and metaverse. Don't think metaverse is kind of crazy, you know, meta Facebook meta world. Um, but it's Roblox, it's Minecraft, it's Fortnite. That's where all these brands are trying to go. And so, um, you went to a, a Casey current game and now you go into Roblox and a new realm opens up because your wallet, your phone number that you connected is now has this Casey current. So now you can go to the Casey current playground or you can go into this cool area. And so it's kind of token gating, even in the metaverse. Right. So this phone number is just, it's a really beautiful link that is already there. So we're thinking, how do we build a plumbing? Like, how do we make it kind of easy for other brands and other companies to kind of, uh, you know, use kind of your phone number as a digital wallet and put whatever digital thing they want. You talk about like users and I'm speaking from the perspective of someone in their late forties mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, you're telling me that and you're talking about this easy onboarding. And I was just thinking yesterday, so my kids are in go to coding school, sure. they're six and eight. But my daughter yep. was explaining to me on the way home how she was going to use JavaScript in a command block in, in Minecraft to create a new character that did this, 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 and this. And I right. was like, what? Right. When I was eight, I was playing, I was amazed at how <laughs> cool Atari was. Yes. I was like, Pong. I remember when, Pitfall, Pong is amazing. when Pitfall came out, I was like, oh my God, the graphics are unreal. How right. do they do this? Will anything ever be better than this? And, you know, that's the thing. I was actually uh, doing a, a different recording, uh, talking about metaverse and stuff like that. And, you know, some of that is right now it's not as palatable as some of us. I'm not like I, the wearing of the headgear and a lot of that, but that's, right. you're going to have a pair of glasses and probably a contact lens yep, eventually at some point that would be what you would want to do. So if you're going to go, you could theoretically go to the museum mm -hmm. and your glasses or maybe something would, I don't know, do a whole lot of different things. So it's coming right. folks. And you also talk about like the future users, like my eight year old daughter, as mm -hmm. much as I hate to admit it won't always be eight. <laughs> and those are the they future consumers, up. but, but yeah, there's like, a, you know, she taught herself how to use iMovie the other day and made a startup hustle monthly update video. And I was like, wow, but, but that's, but that's the thing. So like the future users of this stuff, I feel like they would maybe be like, what do you mean? I can't use my phone number for this. Right. So, so, so when you look at something like this, so you go back to like, I verify way ahead of its time. Is Redeem way ahead of its time? Man, I think so. I mean, this feels very similar to where I was at in iVerify. Like to me, like this is so obvious. Like how come we can't just use our phone number everywhere? I agree. I mean, when and, we sat down and you first told me about it, I was like, shit, right. and why so can't I do this? For the first three or four months, I just spent all my time asking people, hey, who's doing this? Hey, who's doing this? And, and no one was doing it. I was like, this is so obvious. What am I missing? And I kept digging and kept digging and I couldn't find anything missing. If anything, my, my conviction grew of like, no, this can totally work, right? So carriers have even opened up these APIs where you can kind of say, hey, is this Matt's phone number right now on this phone? And we can leverage the same APIs they use to say, does your SIM have a plan with this network to allow you to connect, right? So you've got this, I mean, again, they spent billions of dollars building this network and we can now just call it as an API. There's so many cool things that have built here. So yes, I think um, phone numbers uh, are the easiest link. The other interesting thing about phone numbers that I really like, and and this was a, a criticism of biometrics, which which I agree with, is it's really hard to change your biometrics, right? There's lots of things that in general, that's not a valid concern. But um, once you have a good valid biometric template and somebody else wants to see you, it's pretty tough to change the biometric. However, you can get rid of your phone number. You can walk away. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there is ways to take, Hey, I'm changing phone numbers and you can kind of link stuff back over. You can change the wallet, but say you want to just completely, so it makes people feel comfortable. Like, I do have a rip cord I can pull, right? I don't think anybody ever will. I <laughs> think very few people ever will, yeah. but it gives them this sense of it's tied to me, but it is not me. Right. So, so yeah, I really like just the blend of it's this great bridge between kind of the real world me and both web two digital, even web three digital, I mean, metaverse kind of, as we go forward that, uh, yeah, I just can't see a better solution. And so that's why we're doing redeem and we're, we're going all in. Speaking of solutions, if you need to find expert software developers, that doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. You can use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers, testers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Go to fullscale.io to learn more. I got wrapped up in the conversation. I've, I get in trouble. <laughs> you did. I got to do three. I got to do three of those. So I was sitting well, here. I was looking. I was oh, like, oh, wait, oh, we're going to run out of time. I get in trouble, man. I just work. I just work here. I know. Well, 
I'll, I'll, I'll give you your third one now. So again, unprompted by Matt, we also use full scale. They've been great. They're really a good extension to our team. Um, you know, we have uh, kind of core architect and product managers on this end, but really the ability to kind of extend kind of the local teams. So full scale has been great. Thanks. And that was unsolicited. I don't ever have anybody on the show because they're a client and I, I think you may validate, I, nor did I ask. You did not. Yeah, I uh, avoided that. I actually have a contract that says I don't say that publicly unless I'm given permission to. So I'd, I'd like to adhere to that. Um, all right. So challenging things require challenging levels of fill in the blank. Challenge, so the question is, is challenging things? Challenging right? things. Things that are tough to do are yep. tough to do. So if, if you're, you have yep. a challenging thing with Redeem, you got a lot of things that roll out. That is going to require challenges that are associated with you know, I think what it, comes to mind. Yeah. Honestly, when you said that, the first thing that came to mind is conviction. Right. right? So I have to have conviction and believe in my heart and my gut that this is the right approach. Um, you know, even on the journey, we had a lot of folks say, um, oh, you should do this and you should do that. And there's really smart people, even in great investors of ours. But what I've learned over time, if I execute someone else's conviction, like it's too hard, like the emotional roller coaster, the, the journey, um, the number of no's, the, the number of pivots and turns you've got to be able to, uh, to navigate. Like if you're simply executing someone else's conviction, you're in trouble. Right. So I think really challenging things require a deep level of initial, my own conviction. And which then, is also passion. It's passion. Say. Yeah. Which yeah. leads to passion. Right? So I can, yeah. I can be really excited and passionate about this idea because, um, you know, even again, kind of more altruistic, like even until you get to really, really kind of low socioeconomic where they can't afford even to pay their pay for their bill on their phone, everybody has a phone. Yeah. They have a digital identity. They have a place in the Web3 world simply because they have their phone. That's a really cool thought of the number of, benefits that we can bring to a you know, very, very, very wide spectrum of people. Like this isn't just high end, you know, uh, iPhone 15, you know, holders, like no, anybody with the phone can manage it. So um, I get really passionate about that. So then the next thing for me is I've got to find um, team members that are also passionate about it with me. So I got a great co-founder, um, Kenny Conklin. So Kenny um, was at Bats S- early super days. Super bright guy. Yeah. I was yeah. at Bats early days and Farm Mobile and a number of other startups, um, kind of co-founder, COO, now building that engineering team, building the kind of that core, building an investor base. Um, so we've got great, even local investors. So, you know, Flyover Capital and Casey Rise are both investors with us, um, as well as a number of other globally have some, some great investors. So again, it's building, building the, uh, the cohort of the willing. Um, to go kind of uh, attack a vision of a web three is really powerful, but we got to make it super easy and convenient for the consumers. And I think the phone number is the best way. You know, one of the things that's uh, in my opinion, made full scale successful is as you've witnessed, we take a lot of pride in trying to match people up with our clients mm-hmm. needs, but we try to find people that are passionate about mm-hmm. that. Cause if you're passionate about what you do, you wake up and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, so you know, 15 years ago, I decided that making money was going to be my hobby. And I haven't worked a single day since, man. <laughs> and I, I really like, if you talk to a lot of people that know me, they'll, I, I really do believe that because I think life's too short to do stuff that you're like, I don't know why wake up and do something you hate every day. I mean, there's, you know, and, and it can be as simple as, Hey, I like making money so I can, I can be passionate about that. And you know, that doesn't mean that that's not a greedy statement or anything, because I also use some of the money that I earn to help other people mm. get what they want. That's either through investment. I know you've done some of that yourself or donations or whatever. And I don't know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that, you know, you can you can do with that. Now, when I think about like that fill in the blank, I think passion's one. And then one of the things so I, I have a feeling you may struggle with us on some days, too, is patience. Because <laughs> like my team would agree with you. Yeah, well, so would mine. They yeah. Would, yeah. So like, you know, it's there's there's a challenge with that. And but real the the founders that you would recognize and you think about that come up all have that same quality. You never have patience with yourself. There's always something we can right. do better, faster, something like that. But then manufacturing or creating or learning how to have enough patience with the process. As we mentioned earlier, nine women don't make a baby in a month. And that's probably one of the most difficult things that I've had to resolve myself with when it came to entrepreneurship, especially with technology. It's a development process. It's kind of like they say with doctors, you practice medicine. (laughs) It's like, you're never really like, Hey, I I do it, but you keep, you keep learning. Um, I, you know, I think that, 
at resources is another one. Mm -hmm. All you can do is all you can do. I think too many founders spend too much time trying to do everything themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Having that, having the team is is critical. You, you said something that made me, made me smile. So uh, a number of my previous companies, um, so today's, uh, you know, uh, Thursday as we're recording this. And if something needs to be done on Tuesday, we have two weeks this week and next week. Right. And so I'd, I would always like, it didn't be Toby weeks or Toby days. Um, Cause I'd always, always like, you got two months, come on, get this month and next month. And it's okay if today's the, the end of the month. The 30th. Yeah. Um, but no, I always was uh, pushing the team and uh, but le- learning patience and learning what not to do is, is a really hard. So my, this is my third startup from scratch. Um, I've been part of five companies kind of over the past 20, 25 years. And um, I think one of the things that I've really learned is like, what is, what is vanity chasing? What is kind of the chasing of kind of the, the superfluous wind that doesn't really move the business? So understanding what is core to the business, what really matters, and then make sure my time and my team's time is really just focused on those things, regardless of what the media might say or investors might say or customers might say. You really got to have that conviction of okay, here's what it is. You got to one of the, the hardest attributes I've found, both as myself as an entrepreneur and as I've invested in others, is entrepreneurs have to have strong conviction and incredible amounts of confidence and be coachable, right? And that's an odd mix of saying, I'm very, very confident this is is it, but I can still listen and take feedback. The best example I found out is actually professional athletes, Mm -hmm. really good athletes. They've got to be wicked good. Like if you're going to step up at the end of the game and take that three point shot to win the game, you've got to have a lot of confidence. But if you can't listen to the coach and be coached, you're never going to make it very far. Right? so great entrepreneurs hold this tension of being incredibly confident as well as incredibly coachable at the same time. And I want to expand on the coachable thing because I think that's just starts with having being open-minded because I'm always open for input. Some of it I accept, some of them I don't, you know, being coachable doesn't necessarily mean doing every single thing that every single person tells you. Right. Back to how you get get executed on your conviction, not someone else's. And, and, you know, sometimes, well, I learned when I worked for other people that sometimes the best way to get your idea moving forward was to make it someone else's good idea, <laughs> you yes. know? So, I mean, there's a lot of, and, and that, but that goes with leadership too. You talk about the buy-in. All right. So here we are at the end of the episode. Thanks again for joining me. Go to redeem.xyz to learn more about what Toby's doing. Um, you know, congratulations again. I Thank think you. that I think you're going to build another monster. Um, I'm planning on it. Yeah, it's uh, and and you know that's going to be exciting to watch. I want to keep up with that process, and I like to end my episodes with founders with what I call the founders freestyle, where I just give my guests a chance to to do. You get the mic. You I get, get the mic. And I've had you know I've had people sing, do poetry, like all kinds, rap. You mm. don't have to do any of those. You might not want to do any of those, but if you want to, you can. I, I will probably pass on those. You know, when I I get the opportunity to kind of speak to different crowds and. Um, and do things. So whenever I get an open mic, um, I'd like to leave kind of two thoughts. Um, you know, the first one is this identity, understand where you get your identity because the world, especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur is you're going to try to put all sorts of labels on you of, um, what's good and what's not, and um, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. And like, if you don't understand where you get your identity from your significance of self-worth, um, it's going to be really, really, really hard road, right? The emotional roller coaster is very real. So understand kind of, uh, what makes you, you, Right. The second point I always try to make is at the end of the day, when you ask any 70, 80 year old, what really matters, what what had value in your life? Almost all of them will say people, relationships. It's not the job. It's not the money. It's not the the sell of the company. It's not the promotion or the house. It's the people on the journey. And if we were to invest in relationships as consistently and as deeply as we do with our money, with our jobs, with our careers, with everything else, we would be the wealthiest people in the world with the treasure we actually care about as we get older, right? So kind of the two nuggets I try to leave folks when I get an open mic um, is really think about where you get your identity, what makes you, um, you and valuable, and then invest in people, relationships. That is the treasure we're going to care about. So prioritize them over everything else and you'll end up winning. Strong stuff, man. That's good. That's, you know, it's that right there. That's why I do the show because mm. there's, I don't know. I just enjoy everyone's take on how they do stuff. Um, it's, it's fascinating. Now for my freestyle, I want to point out a couple of things from today's episode that I think that are key. You know, Toby's telling stories about, about being successful with things that, well, first off, when you launch them, people are saying, dude, what is, it, what is, what is this? Mm. 
it, how does anyone need this? I want to point out in my history for, and it hasn't always been tech, everything I've ever had that was good. I had a bunch of people telling me it was a shitty idea that it was going to fail or be like, how are you going to make any money doing that? <laughs> right. right. And yeah. then I made millions. Like, I mean, this is the reality of it. And some of that was that conviction and being able to see through doubters and haters. And then also I think in, I want to kind of compliment what you said by you know, there are the one thing that will tether your genius and it is guaranteed is negativity and self-doubt. Mm. And that's like a, that's like a fact. That's mm. not just my opinion. Cause as I mentioned before we recorded, I've been, I have a fascination with the traits of genius people and that's defined a lot of different ways. And I just, I just had it, but it is a known fact that you do not ascend to where you need or want to be in your own headspace. I'm talking about you, not your organization, mm -hmm. like you as an innovator, a person, a founder, maybe even a parent, any of that. If you're the negativity and self-doubt will tether you down. And that's mm -hmm. one of those is internal and the other's external. So, mm -hmm. and you can either be negative and that's a, you acting negatively as a form of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. You're just expressing it. Or if you don't believe it, and then you can, you can't really have conviction if you doubt yourself. Right. And if you doubt yourself, people will see it. There is a there is a, a lack of authenticity about that message as you send it downstream to the people that you're trying to motivate and spread your passion to. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, the, the other thing I, I talk kind of in that that message identity is like your company is not you. Yeah. Your company might be yeah. a bad idea. It might not be the right idea. It might need to shift. It might need to pivot. But you as a person can be confident. You can be whole. Yeah. Like you're loved, you're known, you're, you're beautifully made and created. Um, and the company may fail. That doesn't I, mean I have you to spend time some, on some days making sure I'm detached yeah. from some of it. Cause I do, a bunch, hard, I do a bunch of different things. Yeah. And it was funny is when I meet people, I'm, I'm the, I'm the startup hustle guy. I'm like, <laughs> you're, that's kind of my hobby of sorts. Like I do right. identify startup hustle as more of a hobby. Sure. I mean, I'm actually the full scale guy. That's the one that that's how I, we pay for all this. Mm. So Maybe I should probably get back to doing that, man. I'm going to probably just end the show now and catch up with you down the road. I want to awesome. get an update on Redeemed soon. So well, thank you for having me. It's been a been great, great, great conversation. Thanks for coming in. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.